Before the lesson today, I just wanted to give you a, another update on my upcoming trip to the Philippines. Uh, the trip is now fully funded through the through the GoFundMe account, so uh, thank you to those of you that were able to give toward the expenses for the trip. Um, if there should happen to be extra money left over at the end of the trip, um, that money will be given to uh, either Grace Beyond Borders or or other ministries there in the Philippines. And and again, I'm just so thankful and and humbled um, by so many who have given to help support this trip. Uh, I also wanted to remind you again about the website that I've set up, tagum2016.com, T-A-G-U-M 2016.com, where I'll post updates about the trip, and uh, I'll be leaving on April 10th, and uh, so I would ask you to continue to be in prayer for me as I, I have a lot of things I need to get done before I leave on the 10th, and uh, then certainly... Um, be in prayer for me and, and for my family as I'm there in the Philippines from April 10th until May 4th. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse. And I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28 as we read there about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1, it says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow, and for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, there shall ye see him, Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. 
It's interesting there, the, the, the two different reactions to the resurrection of Christ. On the one hand, you have the, the women there who believed in Christ and, and loved Christ, and they're told to go and tell, go and tell his disciples, go and tell uh, about this resurrection that he is risen, and they go gladly and, and do that. And on the other hand, you have those who, um, their, their worst nightmare was that Christ would actually rise from the dead. And you see, they, um, not, you know, they, don't, they don't even really outright deny that he rose from the dead. In fact, they pay off the soldiers to lie and say that, that uh, he didn't really rise and, and you know, that they had taken the body. Um, just interesting, those reactions. And, you know, you see those reactions in people today when it comes to the resurrection of Christ. There are those who receive it with joy that Christ is risen. And there are those who will do everything to try and reason their way around that fact of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in fact, if you, if you turn uh, over to the book of Acts, and I want you to just notice something here in Acts chapter 2 where Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. And of course, he's preaching to them about the resurrection as well. Uh, he says in, oh, you can, you can start in verse 25 maybe. Um, Acts chapter 2 verse 25, it says, For David speaketh concerning him, concerning Christ, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he's on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, my tongue was glad, moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Now, Peter here is quoting from the Psalms of David, but the words there are really Christ. That his soul would not be left in hell and that he would not see corruption. And so Peter then preaches on that passage and he says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he's both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. And Peter concludes there by saying, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And, you know, likewise, for the people that are hearing Peter's words there, that message was either good news or bad news. Um, keep in mind that, that previous in his message there in Acts 2, Peter had said to these men of Israel that they had killed Christ. 
Right? Now, if you murdered somebody and then you find out he's not dead, but he's alive and God's going to make his enemies his footstool, that's probably not good news to you. Right? But to those who believe, and, and you see here on the day of Pentecost, there were um, these, these uh, 3,000, I, I think it says that day, that believed, and that message of resurrection is good news. So if you're on Christ's side, if, you're, if, if you have him as your Lord, it's good to know that the Lord is risen. If you're his enemy, it's bad to know that the Lord is risen. And again, you see uh, those those reactions, these 3,000, by the way, that are saved on that day, that may seem like a large number, but even that was a minority of the people that were present to hear those words on that day. And, and so the message of the resurrection um, is, is central to the word of God. In fact, the, really the, what was accomplished in the crucifixion is not complete without the resurrection. Let's look at another passage that talks about the resurrection of Christ. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is, is a, a fairly long chapter, and really if you had to put a, a heading on that chapter of what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is about, it's all about resurrection. It's about the resurrection of Christ, it's about um, what, what our resurrection will be like. And um, it begins, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, Paul begins with a reminder to these Corinthians of what the gospel is, what the good news is. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And there in, in verses 3 and 4, you have uh, what you could call the gospel in a nutshell, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. When it says that he died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that's saying more than just that it was the fulfillment of, of scriptural prophecy. It's saying more than it, it's just you know, a true record of Scripture. But what it's saying is, not only that Christ died, but that He died and it actually accomplished what the Scriptures say it accomplishes. Right? He, it's not just a historical fact that Christ died on the, on the cross of Calvary. It is a historical fact, but it's not just that historical fact. It's that it accomplished some things that God's Word said it would accomplish, and God's Word had you know, said afterward as well, uh, revealed what it had accomplished. Likewise, you see with the resurrection, it says that he, was, he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And the, the, um, here in this passage, you know, Paul doesn't go into great detail about what that accomplished because you already have that in other passages of Scripture. Uh, you can see in Romans chapter 3, for instance, as it describes how Christ was made to be a, a propitiation uh, through faith in his blood. 
And, and God, it says he set him forth as that propitiation, that fully satisfying sacrifice. And in his death, Christ made a payment. He paid a price for our sins, uh, a price that we owed to God the Father because of God's holiness and justice that demanded that sin be judged. And Jesus Christ stood there uh, in our place as our substitute and suffered that wrath and judgment of God in our place. But the work that Christ had to accomplish was not absolutely completed in his death. When Christ said, it is finished, just before he died there on the cross, what he was talking about was that, that part, that part of the plan of salvation accomplished through his death was finished there at that point. But without the resurrection, the, the death of Christ doesn't accomplish much. Uh, in fact, I mean, if, if God can't raise his own son, if he can't raise even, you know, God in human flesh from the dead, what hope would any of us have? of resurrection and of of eternal life. And so it's no accident that after the Apostle Paul, there in 1 Corinthians 15, he reminds them of that gospel, of that good news, he spends the next several verses giving the proofs of the resurrection of Christ. In this passage, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, feel compelled to give proof of the death of Christ. That much was evident. Many of these people, he would have... Uh, that, well, maybe not the people Paul would be writing to here at Corinth, but uh, certainly at Jerusalem, there were many people still around who had witnessed his death, right? You didn't need to give a proof of that, but it was the resurrection that was in question. By the way, this, this uh, good news that Paul mentions here, this gospel that he tells the Corinthians that they're saved by, and he worries that, that uh, they might have believed in vain and might not keep those things in memory, that is the good news by which man is saved today. Uh, the good news for today is not that you can come and do a bunch of religious rituals and get eternal life from God in return. The good news today is not that if you give enough money to the church or enough money to the poor or enough money to whoever, that then God gives you blessings. That's not good news for today. Um, Good news for today is not that if you live a generally upright life and, and do lots of good things and help people, that God will give you eternal life. Because if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we don't do those things the way we ought, right? If that's the way to have eternal life, then we're all in a pretty st sorry state before God. But rather, God has done the work. You see, God, in that death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, has done the work that's necessary for salvation. And what the Scripture calls us to is to believe, to trust in what Christ has accomplished. Not to trust in what I might commit myself to accomplish. Right? People make all kinds of religious commitments every day and say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live better, I'm going to do better, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to start doing these things. And some people stick with it. So most people, kind of, that kind of thing wears off after a short period of time. But whether they stick with it or not, all of that ignores what God's Word really says about salvation. And salvation is not something that is purchased through us having more commitment 
that through us trying harder, through us doing better, rather there's already somebody who's done better than anybody could do. There's somebody who was perfect and who died in our place and paid our price so that we could have eternal life. And he rose from the dead as a, as a proof of who he was, but also as a security, as a guarantee of the resurrection that's available to believers. And if you're trusting in anything else for your eternal life, then you don't have eternal life. If you're trusting in yourself, you're trusting in your ability to save yourself or your, your ability to be religious enough or be good enough or, or do any of those things to save yourself, the Bible says you are condemned. But rather, if you give up trying to, trying to uh, do, that, do those things on your own and rather trust the finished work of the cross, the Bible says you're justified. And... So Paul's reminding the Corinthians of those things there. But he goes on then to give these proofs of the resurrection. Because, again, just the death of Christ, just to focus on the death of Christ and what it accomplished, is only half of the story. Christ's death by itself accomplished some things. But it didn't accomplish everything that needed to be done. And so he gives these proofs of that resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5 says he was seen of Cephas, and that's Peter. He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. And so Paul gives, first of all, he gives these eyewitness accounts. Uh, Not only did he appear privately to Peter and the Twelve, remember that that when Jesus rose from the dead, it's not as if that was just a completely secret thing or as if he rose from the dead and then just immediately went into heaven. For 40 days and nights, he was there with the disciples teaching them. And... Christ, was. it describes here, in one time, there were 500 people that saw him. And as Paul's writing this nearly 30 years after the resurrection of Christ, he says, most of those people are still alive. You could go and look them up. You could go, uh, you know, they'd probably be in the vicinity of Jerusalem there. And you could go and find these people and they could tell you how they had seen him physically risen from the dead and you know so so for these people in that day they had maybe even a greater ability to go and verify these things Uh, these are things we take by faith because you know we have faith in the accuracy of the scriptures but for them they could go and check it out right you could go and interview people and you could find and, and test the veracity of these people who had claimed to have seen christ Um, So he he describes there, he says he was seen of James, he was seen of all the apostles, and Paul even includes himself in that number. Now remember that the apostle Paul did not see Christ during that period of time between his his, uh, resurrection and his ascension, or if he... If he did, we don't know about it. But what he's talking about is when he was there on the road to Damascus and Christ appeared to him. He saw not just the risen Christ, but the risen and ascended Christ glorified 
um, so that so that the the light that it describes there even even blinded Paul. It was such a such a great thing. He saw the risen, ascended, glorified Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Paul writes these things about the resurrection, he knows that it's true because he knows what he himself had seen. And so Paul sees the risen Lord Jesus Christ, sees him physically, and um, he, he uh, describes himself there, verse 9, the reason he was last of all is he says that I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. And so Paul, that, you know, that encounter that he had with the Lord Jesus Christ was something that certainly he was, he was saved there as he believed on Christ. He previously had been trying to find these people who claim to believe in Christ and put them to death. He believes on Christ there, but he is energized and motivated by the grace of God to go out and to labor and to work, right? And he says that that, that grace of God um, caused him to labor more than all the other ones that had seen the risen Christ. Now, uh, again, this chapter here, First Corinthians 15, deals with a lot of matters of resurrection and, and not just Christ's resurrection. But on the on the basis of that, you see in verse 12, uh, there was a there was a teaching that was going out in Corinth and many other places that there was no resurrection of the dead, right? And, and this was something that apparently was even taking root in the Christian churches that there was no resurrection of the dead. Um, now, that might seem very, you know, very strange to us, although I, I suspect that there are many preachers today that believe that as well. Uh, you know, as you see, humanism and, and, you know, these other things that have crept in to the church, um, you, you know, there's, there's several popular books right now, uh, for instance, that question the existence of hell. Right, and also by extension, in some ways, question the existence of heaven as well, and question the idea of resurrection. Uh, so that's not that's not something that was just in that day and isn't around today. Uh, there are many people that sit in churches every week that claim to be Christians that believe that the creation just came about by chance, that they're just a, a collection of chemicals that came together by chance, and when they die, they're just dead and gone, and that's it. And they may view Christianity or, or what they call Christianity, they may view it as a good way to live or, or just a beneficial lifestyle or, or whatever, but have no real belief or, or hope of resurrection. And, and so Paul says in verse 12, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? He links together Christ's resurrection with our hope of resurrection. And what he's saying is, how, how can there be no resurrection of the dead if Christ rose from the dead? Now, the Apostle Paul, when, when he presents these arguments, he does it in a very logical way. 
right? He gives the proof, the eyewitness proof of the resurrection of Christ, and now he's going to treat that as being an established fact. It is an established fact by this time in, in this passage that Christ did rise from the dead. And so Paul says on the basis of that, how could anybody say there's no resurrection of the dead? There has to at least, at least be Christ's resurrection from the dead, an established fact that you can go out and find the eyewitnesses to. How could, how could anybody preach that there is no resurrection of the dead? And he says in verse 13, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then, then to, to have faith in Christ is a vain thing. To have faith in a, in a dead man? Now the world often does that, puts, a, puts their faith in dead men. But to have faith in a, in a dead man and essentially in a dead God, as Jesus Christ is God, to have faith in a dead God, what a vain and empty thing to have faith in. But he says if Christ isn't risen, our preaching is vain. Why, why put all this effort? Why, you know, why should the Apostle Paul go and, and suffer all the things he suffered for the name of Christ? and go and put all of that effort in if there is no resurrection of the dead and if Christ isn't raised. Why, what would be the point? And, and again, he says, your faith also is vain. He says, yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then I am a liar. And many of you are liars. Um, and, you know, there's no sense in believing a pack of lies. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, we might as well end the service now, walk out the door and never come back. Because, because there's no point in this. Right? If there's no resurrection of the dead, might as well go out, might as well live a, a life that's pleasurable to you. And, and, you know, do that until that life is over. So verse 16, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 16 says, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. And then he says, Ye are yet in your sins. Without the resurrection, your sins cannot be dealt with. Uh, You cannot believe that you have any kind of, of... forgiveness or or justification from God if Christ isn't raised. And so what what Paul's calling these Corinthians to do, because again, they appear to have been kind of flirting with this idea that there was no resurrection. By the way, that probably came, you know, that that um, when when Christ was on the earth, there were two main religious groups in Israel that he kind of kind of wrestled with at various times. The one was the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the religious fundamentalists. The Pharisees uh, took, took the Bible very literally. And the problem with the Pharisees was their hypocrisy. And they believed many of the right things, but they didn't do the right things. And so Paul told, or not Paul, Christ told um, the people to do the things the Pharisees tell you to do, but don't do the things they do, because he says they say and do not. On the other side, you had these Sadducees, another, another group, um, and they did not believe the Bible literally. 
They didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in, in angels. Um, they took those things as, as being figurative and not literal. And they didn't, they didn't believe the scriptures. And the problem with those Sadducees, again, was they didn't believe the Bible. You know, two very different problems with those different groups. But that same division and that, that uh, false teaching of the Sadducees probably is where this teaching came then into these Christian churches. And what, what uh, Paul says, if, if Christ isn't raised, so again, very logical argument, if there's no resurrection, then Christ isn't raised. And if Christ isn't raised, you're yet in your sins. You have no hope to have your sins dealt with. If Jesus Christ only died on the cross, but didn't rise from the dead, there's no hope. He says in verse 18, Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Uh, there was a, a preacher who said that you know many people say that the resurrection of Christ is a myth. And he said if the... Uh, Resurrection of Christ is a myth, then we are myth-taken, mythified, and what did he say? Oh, and most mitherable. That's hard to say. But uh, uh, that's the, the argument Paul's dealing with here. Uh, if it's a myth, then there is no hope, right? If, if this life is all there is, look, look around. Um, you know, maybe there's people that are relatively happy in this life, but you see the, the sin and the death and the destruction and all these things in this life, if that's where our hope is, we don't have any hope at all. But we can thank God that these false teachings that Paul's dealing with here are false. We can, we can praise God that Christ is risen from the dead, and if Christ is risen from the dead, then there is a resurrection. And if there is a resurrection, then we can have hope that goes beyond the, the, just the, the futility of this life, but that goes out into eternity. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today. And our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.